Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And today we have as our guest, an old associate of mine, and I, I used to say old friend, but old implies sometimes age, and sometimes it uh, implies the tenure of your association. In this case, in Tom's case, it applies to both. He is- That's what I said, we qualify for both. That's right. <laughs> Oh, me. Uh, anyway, Tom Campbell, who is uh, uh, back when he had good sense, was a radio and TV broadcaster. And then he uh, got into the business of being a television commentator with the program North Carolina Spin, which you watch on public television. It's one of the few opportunities that you have in North Carolina to get both sides of every issue. I know most of you are have watched the program and are watching it on a regular basis now. It's on public television uh, every week and has always interesting topics and so forth. Well, anyway, uh, that's Tom Campbell. And so, Tom, welcome to the program, and we're delighted to have you back. Thank you, Don. Uh, just to underscore what you were saying, I don't know that I have many friendships that go back as far as, as you and I do. And uh, the older I get, the more valued they are. Well, I think we all find that out, that the, the friendships and uh, relationships go a long way, and, uh, and they are indeed uh, one of a person's great assets. Yes. Well, Tom, you know, you watch the uh, news and politics situation better than anybody I know, so I can't <laughs> wait to hear what you're going to say. And I guess we start off with the, uh, if we can call it, uh, the presidential debate that uh, occurred this week. I uh, would be keenly interested in your comments about uh, that debate. Well, it wasn't a debate. Uh, and uh, I mean, it was just a, I thought, horrible example of, of uh, politics in America and, and degrading and showing how low it's gone. And um, I, I am like many who wonder whether we need to have any more of them. I felt so sorry for Chris Wallace. You've done the same thing, but in moderating uh, panel discussions and debates and so forth like that, Chris lost control of that in about the first 60 seconds of it uh, and had 89 more minutes that he was trying to desperately get control without uh, being a jerk and being horrible or prejudiced one way or the other. Um, I, I think Donald Trump hurt himself uh, in that debate. I'm not so sure he hurt himself with those diehards that were going to vote for him anyway. The problem is he he had to that he needed in that debate to convince the few people, and there are very few people. I mean, in North Carolina, we're told that there's only something like three percent undecided voters in the presidential race. But he needed to get those people. He needed to convince those people to join him, and he didn't do anything, in my opinion, to do that. Now. Joe Biden, on the other hand, uh, I don't think he demonstrated to anybody that he's the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do think he demonstrated that he was a decent, honorable, kind guy, and he was probably somebody that you could feel safe with him being your president. Well, you know, that's the reason I put uh, quotes around the word debate, because it really wasn't a debate. It was a show more than anything else. And well, Dana Bash said it was an S show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by the way, I, I do think that uh, the moderator did as good a job as anybody could have possibly. Oh, poor Chris. 
Yeah. Uh, very difficult. I, 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 you know, they supposedly have two more debates scheduled. I don't know who's going to model you those to you. Uh, a guy from C-SPAN is supposed to do the second one, and it's a town hall kind of event. And then the third one is uh, a woman from ABC, if I, if I remember correctly. But I'll tell you, the commission's going to have to get some sort of control over that. You know, it reminds me of our old radio days uh, when you would have somebody on the air, either by telephone or interviewing them or whatever like that. But you always had your finger on the mic switch. You could always <laughs> cut them off. Well, uh, I, I think they're going to have to do something like that in this next debate. Well, it's interesting. The other, the other thing that's sort of amazing to me about uh, President Trump is it seemingly, no matter what comes out, uh, his base does not seem to be affected by it one way or the other because the, also the revelations about his uh, tax payments would normally be expected to be a bombshell that would. Uh, oh yeah. That, that, well, that, I've that, talked to I've talked to some Trump supporters, some really stalwart Trump supporters, and by the way, they've been fairly clearly identified. It's largely white. It's largely male. Um, by and large, not the highest educations. Uh, but I've I've asked them, you know, how can you, after what this man has done, how can you tell me that you're going to vote for him again? And they'd say, I like what some of the things that he's done. And I'll say, okay, tell me what he's done that you like. And he said, well, for one thing, he's appointed something like 124 federal judges uh, to the bench and their lifetime appointments. Uh, he's, he now will have his third Supreme Court appointment. And the courts had been tilting so far to the left that what he's doing is helping bring them back more to a centrist position. Uh, they talk about the fact that he has uh, eliminated uh, some rules and regulations. Some of them, frankly, uh, are, are bad, but they thought government's too big. There are too many rules and regulations, and we needed to, to try, as he said, he was going to drain the swamp. I'm not sure he's drained it. I think he's dug it deeper in some respects, but uh, there are some things that he's done. I mean, somebody told me just yesterday, uh, this, this agreement that he made between uh, uh, Israel and these other uh, Arab uh, countries uh, is going to end up being a very good legacy for him. So um, you're right, though. Uh, he was absolutely correct when he said he could shoot a man uh, on the streets of uh, downtown New York and nobody would care. I was surprised also about his uh, judgment and speaking to Bob Woodward and, and on tape. Man, oh. I, I, I still don't quite understand that. Uh, well, it was ego, Don. I mean, he has, he, I've read the Mary Trump book uh, and I, I've just gotten the Bob Woodward book and, and haven't started it yet, but he has this ability to create his own reality. Never mind whether it is, in truth, the, the reality. He creates his own reality, and he's convinced himself of all of these positions that he's taken. And it just, it, you know, so far as he's concerned, uh, he spouts this stuff off, and I really think he believes uh, a lot of the stuff that he's saying. But uh, fact after fact after fact uh, has been proven to be wrong. And, you know, the... Times has been New York, the Washington 
trying to keep a record of all the lies he's told. Uh, but again, it doesn't matter. Well, it's, it's interesting. And, and of course, the people who listen to this program know that uh, from time to time, I brag about being a registered affiliate. And the reason I mention is because I, I think that politics is actually hurting the cause of uh, good government. Uh, I've heard you say that, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, the way we select our presidential candidates in the first place, it's almost impossible for the Democrats to elect anyone who does not lean, at least lean on the left side. Left side yeah. And the Republicans uh, are going to elect somebody who leans to the right side. And the vast middle has to choose between those two candidates every election. And it, it seems like to me that uh, with the large number of uh, of people in the middle, that uh, sooner or later we're going to get rid of that system of electing our our. Uh, our well, there are more there are more unaffiliated uh, registrants in North Carolina than there are Republicans, and they're gaining on the Democrats all the time. Have you been keeping up with this story of what's been going on with the absentee ballots and the fix that the state uh, board of elections tried to impose, and the fact that yesterday a federal court judge. Uh, essentially threw out uh, the the fix that they created because he said they were essentially trying to rewrite a law and didn't have the authority to do it. It has really turned nasty and ugly. It's one of the it's one of the key things I'm going to be talking about this week uh, on our TV show because uh, it is indicative of the tone and the tenor of where the political discourse is in this country today. You know, I I have a I've I very rarely uh, insert my own opinions, but I've got a solution for the election board. And it <laughs> is? All independents, all registered and affiliates. Yes. That's the party politics out, and there's a large pool of good people to choose from. So why don't make the election board all registered and affiliates? <laughs> I like it. Well, we I, I, like so many of my suggestions. You know, from time to time, I've suggested on the, uh, another program that I would make a great dictator, but uh, I don't see a ground sale for that. I don't see a lot of people lining up behind me to make me dictator. So well, you don't elect dictators, Don. <laughs> they right. just take it. They take authority. <laughs> well, having said all this, uh, we're going to wrap up this segment of the program by telling uh, you, you telling me from what you know, how will North Carolina end up voting and, uh, where will our electoral votes go and, and where do you think this fits into the national picture on the presidential level? And I can tell you all of that in the minute and 10 seconds we have left in this segment. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I have in times past, I felt like I had a handle on where things were politically in North Carolina. I will have to tell you that in, in 35, 33 days when we go to the polls, uh, there are a lot of this. The only race that I think I'm fairly certain about is that Roy Cooper will win re-election as governor. Um, the rest of it, I think, is is still up in the air. You know, the 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 Trump race with Biden is within the margin of error in the polls. Uh, the U.S. Senate race is within the margin of error. Both of them are spending unconscionable sums of money. Uh, There's so few that are still undecided. I don't know. It's it's a mystery to me. 
Our guest is Tom Campbell, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with uh, North Carolina Spins host, Tom Campbell. And we talked in the first segment about the uh, presidential debate and the the race that's going on for the presidential uh, uh, situation, not only in North Carolina, but across the uh, across the state. And uh, one of the things that has been much in the news has been this whole matter of how people are going to vote this year in the era of the uh, COVID-19. Uh, we already have a huge number of people who are requesting uh, absentee ballots. And, Over a million. Yeah, and uh, President Trump seems to think that this is uh, going to work against him. So he thinks that this is uh, going to cause some, some serious problems. I'm not sure he's got real support for that. Uh, with uh, even the members of his own party, but nonetheless, he feels that way. And, uh, and Don, what I think he's so upset about is these states that just wholesale mail out ballots to every registered voter. I think that's what he, he, he hasn't elaborated it quite that way, but I really think that's his big, you know, if, if you request one and you're a registered voter, they have to verify the fact that you're a registered voter before sending it to you. And it's got a barcode on it in North Carolina. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so uh, I, I think that's what he is so upset about. And and at some level, I can sort of understand that that's the case. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, we've already had 200,000 of these ballots returned. The various uh, county boards of elections have started opening these absentee ballots. And I don't know whether they are recording votes and tabulating votes based on the absentee ballots. But I do know that they have started opening. uh, And I'm suspecting that we've got 7 million registered voters in North Carolina. I'm suspecting that before it's all over and done with, we'll have 600 to 700,000 absentee ballots, mainly because of the fact that there are a lot of people who, because as you mentioned, because of the pandemic, they're afraid to go stand in a line and wait to vote. There's always, you know, in in uh, presidential election years, there usually are lines, 
and uh, having to stand in a long line behind people uh, in close proximity to people, uh, that's, that's something that a lot of people want to avoid. And I certainly can understand that. Uh, I, I personally live and I personally have requested an absentee ballot. And by the way, you can still request them uh, up until sometime the end of this week, I think. Uh, we got an absentee ballot. I don't plan to use it, but I got it just in case the situation got so bad that we couldn't go to the polls. But the, the early voting begins October 5th, and there are precincts. If you go to the Wake County Board of Elections, it'll show you where the early voting sites are or whatever county you're in. And then you can determine for yourself whether you want to go vote early or not. That's what we're planning to do is go vote early. There's just something about, to me, there's just something about going into that booth and, and putting your little mark beside uh, the candidate that you vote for and, and getting that little sticker says, I voted. Uh, there's just something that makes you feel like you've really done something in participating in uh, democracy. I, uh, the, uh, something you said about you and live voting reminded me of uh, about uh, 15 or 20 years ago, my wife and I decided not to vote because when we compared who we were going to vote for, we were going to cancel each other out. We were going to cancel each other out. So we just decided not to vote. (laughs) Well, my intention is to be able to cancel out uh, other voters myself. (laughs) Well, uh, it's uh, it is. I've I heard uh, uh, estimates of up to a million absentee vote, vote, vote ballots in North Carolina. I don't know if it'd be that. Well, the, 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 they've already sent out a million. They've already had requests of a million. I don't know that I think there will ever be that many. But going back to what you said before, so far as how this is all going to turn out, the one prediction I think I can make fairly safely is this election is about Donald Trump, and I think we're going to see that all the way down the ballot. Uh, including the U.S. Senate race, uh, maybe at some level the, the the governor's race, the lieutenant governor, and some of the council of state and uh, Congress races. Um, but I think a lot of people are going to be making their decisions based on whether a candidate is an R or a D. And I think nowhere is that going to be any more uh, uh, evident than in our judicial races. We've got some fairly important judicial races in the state now. Well, the, uh, of course, the thing that really makes it exciting in North Carolina is the fact that we are truly a purple state. I mean, uh, if you break out the uh, unaffiliated, uh, uh, even 60-40, and, and most people say that most uh, unaffiliated sort of lean toward the Republican side. So uh, it makes North Carolina almost a pure purple state. And uh, however the election comes out, it's probably going to be one or two percent. I, I think you're right. I think. You know, Trump won North Carolina last time by three and a half percent, I think. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that race uh, pretty close. The The latest polls I see show Biden up one percent. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we all learned from 2016 that polls, uh, that, that people will give pollsters information, whether they believe it or not, sometimes they'll just give them a name just to get rid of the pollster. And I think a lot of that happened uh, during the the 2016 presidential contest. But I think a lot more, and and this is really going to be the key to this election, I think, is turnout. 
if you can tell me, I mean, for instance, uh, the East is largely the rural uh, East and rural West are largely red Republican. Uh, your more suburban uh, urban areas are largely Democrat. You tell me who's going to show up. What sex are they? What age are they? Uh, what race are they? The millennials didn't vote in 2016. Uh, a, a lot of women stayed home in 2016. Uh, if you can tell me who's going to show up to vote, I think we can, uh, all of us can have good crystal balls. So what you're saying is that uh, from the top of the ballot on down uh, into the council of state positions and uh, congressional races and so forth, that it's basically going to be a party decision that uh, uh, in many cases, you know, we haven't talked about the congressional districts uh, yet yeah. because of the fact that they are largely different districts than they were last time. And that's going right. to be the outcome of, uh, some of them now are probably uh, democratic leaning that we're not. And uh, even those that uh, uh, are Republican leaning, the, uh, for example, Virginia Fox has about, uh, I think about 60% new constituents uh, that she didn't have last time. That's a, that's an interesting dynamic. Well, and then you got this, this district that uh, uh, Deborah Ross is running in, which is a brand new district, but, but let me, let me, clarify something that I said, because I want to make sure I was understood. I don't necessarily think that it's it's necessarily going to be people that are pulling an R or a D, straight ticket kinds of voters. I think it's about Trump. Do you like him or don't you like him? Do you support him or don't you support him? There are a number of anybody but Trump uh, voters out there. They may be people who are Republicans. I mean, uh, some of my good friends are, are what others have described as country club Republicans. They call themselves mainstream Republicans uh, who are conservatives, but they cannot stomach Donald Trump. And so uh, I, I asked them, I said, well, OK, does that mean you're voting for Joe Biden? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm having a hard time voting for a Democrat. But I, I do think that it's all about Trump. Well, it's, uh, I, I guess, and of course, you know, the interesting thing about uh, what we're seeing on television now is the so-called third party or dark party money. The, uh, the money comes out from not the candidates, but from others who are advocating on behalf of the candidates. Um, and uh, there's a tremendous amount of money being spent in North Carolina on those two races, the presidential race and the senatorial race. Uh, and I know that as a broadcaster and, and former broadcaster, uh, you love the advertising revenues that come from that, but I think that's a huge mistake. Uh, I, I think the Supreme Court decision uh, that essentially declared that corporations are considered as citizens and have the same opportunities and rights as citizens so far as elections and spending and, and supporting candidates, I really do believe these independent expenditure groups have hurt the process, not helped it. Well, you know, I've mentioned this before. Uh, actually, I, I, I really don't enjoy that uh, business with the with so-called dark party money because what people don't understand is uh, now when it comes to candidates, the candidates, don't, we have no choice except to run the ad. Of course. But in the dark party money, almost every ad is negotiated. And you would not believe how many times we send ads back and say, we just can't run this one. I'm sorry. This, there's not enough to support this. And they'll come back and change it. And we'll 
negotiate it and negotiate it and negotiate it and finally come to some agreement that uh, we can run it. But the claims that some of these people are making are just not substantiated with, with anything that resembles facts. And they're sitting there telling you, well, listen, I ought to be able to say this freedom of speech. And that's what the court said. Well, uh, you know, ironically, they don't argue. <laughs> Well, the, the I thing think, I would I say they, is, I think they know right from the beginning. That they oh, are, I, yeah, they want to see how far they can get. Well, yes. the thing that the the viewers and listeners don't understand is how much you're absolutely right. How much time you end up spending having to end up being lawyers and accountants and negotiators uh, for these political ads. It is. Uh, I've had a friend who's a broadcaster say it ain't worth the money I get. Well, I, I, it is a real headache. And of course, the other thing is during most of this time, they buy the time up and our traditional advertisers who are with us all the rest of the year can't buy time. And so I'm not sure that uh, it's as much of a bonanza as people might think it is. I, it uh, Certainly, there's a lot of money spent, but it in many cases just replaces ads that we would have sold to commercial accounts anyway. So uh, I think maybe we, <clears throat> from time to time, get uh, uh, labeled as being uh, appreciative of, of all, the, all the political money. I don't know that that's necessarily. Well, and, it, and, and you can often get accused of taking sides one way or the other because of the ads that you run. Yeah. Our guest is Tom Campbell, and uh, we will be back with another segment of uh, Carolina Newsmakers, and we're going to talk more politics in the upcoming election when we return right after these messages. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Tom Campbell, uh, the uh, creator, the executive producer, and the moderator of the television program, North Carolina Spin, is our guest. Tom, how long have you been doing that program now? 22 and a half years. We're going in the studio this week and we're going to record our 1143rd show. Well, that is, uh, that has to be right up there with the, the longest running television programs in the state, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, particularly uh, talk shows, news, yeah. talk, news talk shows. There are some others like uh, the old Carolina Today show on WNCT in Greenville and a few others that 
uh, have a, a longer record. And of course, Bill Friday holds the record. Uh, he wants, he, as you know, he was a mentor and a good friend and he'd call me up on Monday mornings, most Monday mornings to, uh, and, and by the way, this is just, this was the greatest thing. You knew Bill very well, so you can appreciate this. He'd call me up, and particularly if I was doing something on uh, universities or higher education or whatever like that, he was such a gentleman. He would never say, Tom, you screwed that up. He would also, he would always say, now, Tom, uh, if you're planning to talk about this topic again, let me suggest you... <laughs> <laughs> you consider this, and I knew I got the message. We'd screwed up, uh, but he was—he had done. I think it was something like four thousand North Carolina people shows uh, when he finally left it. Um, he once told me he wanted me to take over North Carolina people, uh, and uh, I thought that uh, that was before I started NC Spin, and I—I I, I thought, you know, what a great job! You get to talk to some of the most interesting people in the state. Yeah. One of the great stories about uh, President Friday was told by uh, former President Spangler, who visited Dallas one time, uh, Bill Friday's hometown, and uh, he wanted to see where Bill Friday was born. So he stopped at this service station in Dallas, and uh, it was a small town service station, two men sitting, having a Coke, and he said to them, uh, where does where was Bill Friday's home? And they said, well, if you go down one block this way and turn right, it's the third house on the left. And uh, President Spangler said, well, you know, he was he was a friend of mine. And the other guy said, yeah, he was one great baseball player. If he'd stuck to baseball, he might have amounted to something. <laughs> he told that story in an interview. I, I did the last one of the last interviews he ever did uh, on NC Spin with with him. And uh, he told that story then, which I think was part of what made him so great was that there was a humility to the man. Oh, yes. He never left, he never left his Dallas roots. No. And uh, the other thing that uh, President uh, Friday had this great talent, he, he actually believed that everybody he met knew something that he needed to know. It might be a person digging a ditch or a person planting a crop or something, but he felt like everybody knew something that he needed to know. And, and, uh, and he was very good with names, but he couldn't always bring them uh, up immediately upon. So he would, he would always say, well, how are you old friend? Everybody was old friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we so should... now we've wrapped the elections up. What else are we going to talk about? <laughs> well, we've got more elections to talk about. And one of them is of great importance to the entire country. And that is the fact that probably the deciding uh, vote uh, in the United States Senate is going to be cast by a senator that uh, North Carolina. They come from North Carolina because uh, the uh, balance of power in the Senate is very, very close. And, uh, um, with the uh, let's assume for a moment that President Biden or, or uh, President uh, candidate uh, Biden wins, then they will have the, the uh, uh, deciding uh, vote in the as the president Senate. If Biden wins, the Democrats have to flip three seats. Yeah. If Biden loses and Trump gets reelected, they've got to flip. The Democrats have to flip four seats. Uh, Tom Tillis uh, said the other night at a Trump rally. He said that uh, most everybody in Washington understands 
that the Senate will not flip if North Carolina retains him. Uh, a good motivation, I think, for people to go out and vote for him. Uh, I, I do think this is a closely watched race. Um, you know, Tom Tillis was one of the best House speakers in North Carolina that I knew. He really knew how to run the House, and and he did a good job of it and uh, didn't always agree with all of the legislation that, that he shepherded and got passed, but he was good at doing it, and he was good to both his friends as well as to people on the other side of the aisle. Uh, but he has not been extremely visible in North Carolina, nor has he uh, assimilated a track record in this first six years uh, that is, uh, you know, something that he can say, here's an example of some landmark legislation that I championed and passed. Uh, and, and frankly, in Cal Cunningham, he's got a pretty attractive, articulate uh, guy running against him. And, and Cal has a track record as a state senator, a former uh, vet, uh, Bronze Star winner. Um, it, I, this is where I say I think this is basically going to boil down to Trump because uh, I think the polls are showing, the polls have showed uh, Cunningham with a pretty, with a lead for most of the time, but it is within the margin of error. Uh, and, so, and it's going down. Yes, it is. It's getting closer. Uh, as, by the way, uh, you know, we talked about the governor's race. Um, Roy Cooper's popularity ratings are declining some now. Um, everybody said, you know, he had something like a nine-point uh, lead, 12-point uh, lead I'd seen. Uh, people are saying, well, people uh, just don't approve of uh, the way he's handling the virus as much as they did uh, early on. Uh, I think it is normal and natural that all of these races, as they come down to the finish line, they're going to tighten up. And so I, that's why I say the deciding factor, I think, is going to be Trump. Well, it, it, I think people in North Carolina just need to understand how important this is on the national scene. It is. A race it could be the, the uh, vote that actually changes the power and the uh, because uh, assume for a moment this scenario that the Democrats win the presidency and they already have the House. Uh, if they also have the Senate, then we are, uh, it's an entirely different ball game than if one House or one chamber is of, of opposite party because that uh, sort of uh, makes the, uh, the prospects of uh, discussion and debate. Uh, I'll go you one further than that. Let's assume Trump remains president, but the Democrats take over the Senate. It's a whole new ball game. Yeah, uh, he will never get all of these appointments through that he's been getting through. Furthermore, I think you would start seeing the Congress standing up to the president far more than they have. I guess the one thing that has has really surprised me out of all of this is that. There were some after the election in 2016 said, oh, all is lost. We're going to Hades and all of this kind of good stuff. And I'd say, wait a minute. You forget that the founders of this country established three separate divisions and houses. And we've got the executive, we've got the legislative, and we've got the judicial. And if President Trump goes too far out of bounds, I have confidence that one of these other houses, the, the Congress or the, the 
uh, judges will stand up and stop him. Now that has happened quite a bit, by the way, with the with the judges. I've really been disappointed, uh, particularly in the Senate, that uh, he's done some pretty crazy stuff, and they just have not found any backbone to stop him. Well, it's uh, uh, he has been a uh, hard charger and has taken advantage of the executive order president we've ever had. Yeah, and he complained all the while before getting elected about Obama doing it. <laughs> well, it's interesting how that for the uh, the uh, who should appoint judge. If you go back four years ago, of course the Republicans had a different team than they have now. Yeah, I, I, they're they're straining for justification, in my opinion. That the one that I think that they are trying to stick to is. Well, that's when you had a president from one party and a Senate from, that was controlled by another. We're in a different situation. We've got a president and a Senate controlled by the same party. How valid that is, I don't know. And, and by the way, that uh, I, I'm fairly certain they're going to try to cram that thing through before November 3rd, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how much of a backlash there is to that. Well, you know, I, uh, one of the things I wondered is, that actually might not hurt Trump a little bit because uh, if he waited till after the election, he could say, look, you need to elect me so that I can continue to uh, elect conservative judges. If this is done before the election, that, that issue goes out the window. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think he would be smart to wait and hold the vote. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Senate leader, uh, didn't wait until after November 3rd on the basis of understanding that very thing, that it could, I mean, you know, some of these more more uh, vulnerable senators uh, that we've got right now, uh, they need every, every ounce of help they can get. And if people are just angry as hell because of the Supreme Court announcement, it's not going to help them. Well, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly one of the most interesting election years I've seen in my uh, you know, one of the things I, I was going to say earlier in the program, Tom, one of the things that's really fascinating to me is at one point in my life, I was a number of years older than you are. Now you're older than I am. I don't know how that's happened. I just thought I would point that out. It's 1143 television programs. It'll do it to you every day. So lights, uh, Don, the lights. Uh, I am... Uh, as I uh, get older, I, I quit keeping up with chronological age. I, it just, uh, it's depressing to do that. So I, I don't uh, count the years anymore. Well, at least you still have hair. Well, I, I, hair is one thing I've got plenty of. Well, plenty of hair. Uh, uh, we were talking the other day. I said, you know, when we first started this show, I had hair, but that was 1998. Well, that, that's right. And you didn't have much then. Uh, <laughs> our guest is Bob Campbell, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was going to do it but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish 
what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Final segment of Carolina Newsmakers, and our guest this week is uh, the creator, the executive producer, and the moderator of television program on WUNC-TV, Tom Campbell. And uh, those of you who have not watched NC Spin, you need to give it a chance, a good opportunity, because it is a great program. The, the whole uh, concept of the program, Tom is the moderator. He usually has two people who represent uh, a more conservative view and two people who represent a more liberal view and toss uh, the issue out and discuss it. And usually you come out with a great deal of knowledge and, and uh, information that you would not get any other way. So it's, it's a program that I highly recommend that you add to your weekly viewing and listening habits. Now, Tom, uh, as we wrap up this program, uh, let me ask you a couple of sort of philosophical questions. One is, uh, what uh, you've been watching the political scene in North Carolina for years. What has been the biggest change in politics during your, your time of uh, doing the program and also just uh, experiencing uh, life in North Carolina? Well, I think I would call it, uh, if you had to put a label on it, sort of the Washingtonization of North Carolina politics. As you know, my dad served in the legislature back in the 70s, uh, late 60s and early 70s. And uh, by the way, his seatmate was Jim Jim Broyhill, uh, not Jim Broyhill, Jim Holzhauser. Uh, it was a time when there were political differences. There were party differences, but the two parties uh, went to receptions together. They went to dinner together. They had uh, uh, conversations together. They worked together oftentimes to, you know, uh, uh, produce legislation. Um, today, it has turned into such a, a slugfest that the two parties rarely even talk to each other in the legislature. I mean, you've got the Republican caucus, which, by the way, also is splintered into two or three different factions, and the Democratic caucus, which, again, is uh, similar to that, and they just don't have any communications with each other. There is no, there is no uh, feeling of, let's do what's right. Let's do what's best for the common good. Let's really truly be public servants. Um, the power and the money and the influence has gotten much greater over the years, uh, I, I must tell you, I don't enjoy, I, I've always been a political junkie, you know that, uh, going back to the 60s when I first started. Uh, I don't enjoy uh, politics like I used to. I don't like, uh, it's, it's, in, it's uncivil, uh, it's disrespectful, it is, it is uh, looking out more for 
personal or special interest than it is for uh, the good of the people. And uh, it's just not the same. uh, It's become such a blood sport. Uh, If I win, you've got to lose. And that didn't used to be the case. It used to be, let's find what's a win-win for your side and my side in this. And uh, I, I wish I could tell you I saw something or someone in this election cycle uh, that was capable of writing that ship. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, in my column this week that I've sent out to newspapers says, um, the one thing that I think could be a good step forward is term limits. And I didn't used to, uh, uh, I didn't used to espouse term limits because I always felt like if you, if you uh, put term limits, particularly on the legislature, then you created more power for the legislative staff because they were the ones who had the memory and uh, knew where the bodies were buried and so forth like that. But I'm of the opinion now we've got to institute term limits. We've got to say you can't serve but 12 years in the legislature. We got people there that have been serving 20 and 30 years. They created their own legislative retirement system for Pete's sake. I don't want them retiring on me. Um, we need to insert not only term limits for uh, the, the the various House and Senate members, but we need to insert term limits for the leaders of the House and Senate. It used to be uh, back before 1977 that the lieutenant governor was the source of power in the Senate, but the lieutenant governor was elected for four years, and in four years, you're going to have somebody else making different appointments and uh, doing differently so far as authority and power. Uh, the House during that period of time had a an unspoken rule that a House speaker could only serve one two-year term. Well, so when the Senate in 1988, uh, when Jim Gardner got elected lieutenant governor, uh, the Senate said, oh, we can't have this. So they took all the power away from the lieutenant governor and gave it to the Senate president pro tem, who then was able to appoint the committee chairs and has the power and he can serve as long as he wants. And we've got instances where like Mark Bass Knight served 10 years or so, and Phil Berger has served that long. Well, Joe Mavretic once said the first four years of a legislators or uh, elected officials power, they work for the people. After that, they're working for themselves and their friends. Absolute power does corrupt. And so I think we've got to insert uh, term limits for uh, the members. And I think we've got to insert term limits on the leaders. And I think that might help. Uh, if, if nothing else, it'll mean that we'll see fresh faces more often in our legislature and people who are willing to learn and willing to listen uh, instead of taking such dogmatic positions. Well, it's interesting that this is happening at the same time of the emergence of the cable news networks and social media being yes. one of the primary sources of news and information and of the dying of the daily newspaper. All this is rolled into one. Yeah, you talked about the debates that went on Tuesday night. You know who the top-rated news source was? Fox News. Yeah, I, we can remember the time where CBS, NBC, and CBS was it. And, of course, the daily newspaper was uh, a source of not only news and information, but also editorial comment, uh, editorial, real 
with it or not was aside from the point, but you get the basic information. Yeah. You don't have that. You remember the day when Walter Cronkite came back from Vietnam and told the American people on the CBS Evening News that the military leaders were lying to us, that we were losing the war over there. We weren't winning the war. And all of a sudden, the whole face of that changed. Well, it, uh, the state of journalism has certainly changed along with the state of politics. And, and it's a shame because uh, dialogue is so important and uh, uh it uh, it's it's how good decisions are made when you truly have honest debate and honest discussion, and uh, as you said, sometimes each side gives a little bit, but usually the uh, the uh, resulting action is one that is pretty well thought out. Our premise has always been: you need to listen to the other side. You may you don't have to you don't have to. We've never tried to tell people what to believe. You need to listen and at least hear what they're saying. Tom, before we forget, uh, I would like to, uh, we've been talking about your program. What is the uh, the time that uh, North Carolina Spin is on uh, WUNC TV? It's on Friday nights at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday afternoons at 12.30, and it's on their North Carolina channel Friday nights at 10, Saturday afternoon at 4.30, and Sunday morning at 10. So somewhere in there you can find time to listen to that program. And as I said, I highly endorse it because it is – uh, one of those occasions where we do have good dialogue between uh, thinking liberals and thinking conservatives, and they talk the issue out. And by the way, they're all good friends. Yeah. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being with us. Tom Campbell, creator, executive producer, and moderator of North Carolina Spin. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and you can hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. That's carolinanewsmakers.com, and you can do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Jason Kahn will have another guest for us next week from the same group of stations. Till next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.